like it's been a long time since we've been here, doesn't it? It does to me anyway. So the interesting thing about what happens when you have a sermon ready to preach on one week and then you don't have service is the sermon changes. I've never experienced that before. This is the first time ever like that we've ever canceled a service that I can remember. So, um, But I am glad to see that you guys have all survived the great ice apocalypse of 2017. Yeah. You know what, though? Here's the deal. Um, Lee Zach, I'm going to get him. No, I'm just kidding. He's actually promising like a February full of snow, by the way, in case you haven't heard that. Apparently the dog at, ha- at his home like just puts its, okay, one paw if we're just having a little snow. Two paws if we're having, anyway. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we have to make a call and we would rather you guys know with certainty what's going to happen versus, okay, last minute we're having church kind of thing. So we just felt it was the best thing to make that call. And um, I hope you guys had a restful and wonderful worship session at your own home. So just to refresh your memory since it's been a little bit since we've been together, we launched into this mini-series. And the whole purpose of this thing is to align us, right, with God's plan for the new year. You know, you, some people have a word or some people have a resolution. Uh, some folks will just say, you know, this is the thing that I want to change this year. So often we focus on change. And so what we kind of talked about is that aspiring for change for the better is good. That's a good thing. In fact, it's great. But our track record for success is not great. If you look at that list last week or a couple weeks ago, of the top 10 New Year's resolutions that are broken, they're all things we acknowledge within this room that is like at least one of those I can remember committing to and maybe not succeeding at. And so we might implement that change even for a while, but often it doesn't last. And I said, however, knowing what our purpose is, like what uh, the thing that we're striving for, that's what leads to lasting change. So uh, in other words, knowing like what our goal is or what our end game is, when we have a sense of where we're headed, like the destination, that's helpful because the odds of lasting meaningful change when we can keep thinking about where we're trying to get to versus what we're trying to do in that moment, the odds increase. And so I gave you this little nugget. I said lasting change is only possible when we find our purpose in God. I assume that the reason that you're in this room right now is because uh, you, you're loving God, you're trying to serve Him, or someone that loves God and is trying to serve Him drug you in here with them. It's one of those two things. And so the only purpose for me to stand up here in front of anybody is change. Right? I mean, that's the idea. We, we are walking through Scripture together. We come here in this room. We worship together. That's the sole purpose of what we do. We worship. But the idea is that we're being changed. We're being shaped into what we should be to look more like Jesus. And so lasting change is only possible when we find our purpose in God. Our purpose is worship and to glorify the Father with our very lives. God created each of us, Jeremy said this earlier, for relationship with Him. And with each other, right? We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love one another. And that's all well and good. We would probably mostly agree on that. But it's like, what about the details, dude? Because there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't know that's going on in my life. Like, there's some hard stuff, some hard questions that I have. And we talked about those, right? Where am I going? What is God's will for me? 
How do I even hear his voice? How do I know if I'm on track? How do I know? How will I know, right? So over the next few weeks, we're going to use the story of Gideon to hopefully unpack some of these things. And as I was working through the sermon, I'm thinking to myself, they're going to be really, really frustrated with this because it's kind of like, you want, I want these answers now. Like, I, let's just skip to week five, dude. Come on. But then, like, you miss half the story. And so I told you, these are going to stand alone. Like, they'll be separate little things. But the whole deal, the whole package is what you want. So if you miss one of these, you definitely need to catch the podcast because they sort of build upon each other. And so the idea is that we're going to go through Judges 6, and it's going to be our launch pad so that we can, like, explore these questions and hopefully get some answers. So check this out. They're here.
Excuse me? Are you saying I'm stupid? No. Do I look stupid to you? Let's just think about the logic, shall we? Let's just think about it for a second. If it was up there, would I be coming down here to your level looking for it? Why am I even talking to you? You're not the queen. You don't smell like the queen. She's learning to take over from me, Hopper. Oh, I see. Under new management. So it's your fault. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't. Uh, 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 first rule of leadership. Everything is your fault. It's a bug-eat-bug world out there, princess. One of those circle of life kind of things. Now let me tell you how things are supposed to. The sun grows the food, the ants pick the food, the grasshoppers eat the food. And the birds eat the grasshoppers. Hey, like the one that nearly ate you, you remember? You remember? Oh, you should have seen it. Okay. This blue jay, he has him halfway down his throat, okay? And Hopper, Hopper's kicking and screaming, okay? And I'm scared. Okay, I'm not going anywhere near, okay? Oh, come on. It's a great story. Ow, 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 ow. I swear, if I hadn't promised Mother on her deathbed that I wouldn't kill you, Kill you! And believe me, no one appreciates that more than I do. Shut up! I don't want to hear another word out of you while we're on this island. Do you understand me? I said, do you understand me? Well, how can I answer? You said I couldn't say another word. Dad, remember Mark? Hey, I'm a compassionate insect. There's still a few months till the rains come, so you can all just try again. But, Hopper, since it's almost the rainy season, we need this time to gather food for ourselves. Listen, if you don't keep your end of the bargain, then I can't guarantee your safety, and there are insects out there that will take advantage of you. Someone could get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Tense, right? I showed you that for a reason. This is very reflective of where we've been in Judges 6 and what kind of happened. So uh, in a nutshell, the people of Israel have, have been unfaithful. I'm not suggesting the ants were unfaithful. I'm just saying that illustrates what was happening. So the Midianites in the land keep coming through and stealing their food and burning their crops and tearing down their homes and basically destroying everything, so much so that they're hiding in caves. And there's this cycle that happens in Judges in the book of Judges, and actually it repeats in other places in Scripture. But the idea is that the people of God uh, find themselves being unfaithful. They end up in this place where they're not serving God the way that they should. And so they end up finding themselves in servitude or as slaves to someone, being terrorized by them. In this case, it's the Midianites and the other tribes in this land that God had promised them, right? So then it goes to the next step in this cycle where Out of desperation, they cry out to God, Lord, save us, help us. 
and God being compassionate over and over again, actually, in the book of Judges. He does just that. He hears and he responds, and that's actually where Gideon's story begins, and we're going to be in Judges 6, verses 11 through 24 today. Let's start with verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Okay, so here's the deal. That's a tree. Some people say it's an oak tree. Other places say it's a pistachio tree. I don't know that it really matters. It's a tree. So this angel shows up. He camps under this tree at a town named after uh, the multimedia conglomerate Oprah, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So right off the bat, things get freaky, okay? I mean, this is weird. It's mysterious. This mysterious figure that's referred to as the angel of the Lord shows up under this tree, and he's kind of stalking, just kind of hanging out there watching things, observing Gideon as he works. Now, if you read through this, you might notice something, and I just want to point this out very quickly. This, this figure, this mysterious figure, is referred to two different ways. Sometimes the writer uses the phrase angel of the Lord, as is the case here in verse 11. And then later on in verse 14, he'll call this figure the Lord. He uses those two interchangeably. So what's the deal, right? Is this an angel or is this the Lord himself or is it something in between? What's going on here? Well, in the Bible, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, there are lots of times that God appears and takes on some type of human form, some type of angelic form, you could say. He's some sort of messenger or representative of God. He shows up to communicate with people. Now, in Near East cultures, especially like this one, when there was a representative or someone that a king or an emissary sent out to people, uh, there were a few things that we need to know. Okay, They were acting on behalf of the king, so the messenger did exactly what the king wanted him or her to do. And the messenger said exactly what the king wanted him or her to do. The messenger's actions and words were on behalf of the king. And as a matter of fact, they were just as binding as if the king himself was there in person. So this figure in our story, and this is weird for us, okay, because we are Westerners. It's black or white. It's like McDonald's or Burger King or Yuck. I would not eat it either other place, right? It's like it's, we, we, it's on or off. It's one or zero. But that's not how it is. In fact, the writer, this is going to drive you crazy. The writer is intentionally ambiguous. Hmm, a mystery. You got to find the paw print, right? Anyway, so there's this mystery here. And you know what? Here's the deal. It doesn't necessarily matter. Because here's what we need to know. The main point is that this figure is God's messenger and God's message is for Gideon. That's all that we need to know is God sends this person, this being, and this being has a message from God for Gideon. And so the messenger finds him working in secret, right? He is threshing wheat. And if you don't know much about that, I mean, you know, because I'm a threshing expert. No, I'm a thrashing expert, perhaps, but not a threshing expert. Whole different thing. So the deal is, they would usually have this wide open space to thresh wheat. And the idea was that the wind would come through, and as they were beating all of these stalks out, all of the stuff they didn't want, the chaff, the husks, 
all of that vegetation would blow away, and what they would be left with would be the kernels, and that's what they would use to make flour and stuff. And we know if we read ahead in Judges that they had a threshing floor, so it wasn't like they didn't have a place to do this. So what's going on here? Well, the deal is this. He's hiding. Gideon's hiding, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which would be very, very inefficient. And the idea is this. Times were desperate. It's kind of like the ants trying to get all the food together, but they got to get this thing, and they've got this adversary that keeps coming in and taking the food. And so Gideon's hiding because he doesn't want the enemy to come in and steal what he's working on. He's trying to avoid discovery. And so all of a sudden, this angel appears. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is weird. I mean, this would be weird, right, if this happened to you? Now, obviously, through the text, we understand that Gideon respects this visitor. There's an an aspect of respect, and he senses that there's something extraordinary about him. However, Gideon's response also demonstrates that he doesn't really know who he's dealing with. And I think it's funny because it's kind of like us. Verse 13 goes on to say, Gideon's like, okay, you said the Lord is with us, with me. If the Lord is so with us, then why are we suffering? What happened to all of the deeds and the mighty miracles that our forefathers talk about all the time? When they say, did the Lord not bring you from Egypt? And I think about that, and that's interesting to me. And he finishes by saying, he says, God has left us and the Midianites are now our masters. His response is very understandably human. And I think it's very easy for us to relate to. It's almost like that whole thing where you can imagine, like when you're kids and you're trying to get them to eat, for instance. It's like, you know, they're starving kids in Africa. By the way, I don't think that's ever worked. It's kind of like you can imagine these Jewish grandmas and grandfathers when someone's complaining, well, didn't the Lord not bring you out of Egypt? That's kind of what's going on here. So Gideon responds, it's human, it's just a little bit snarky, I think, and it's very easy for us to relate to. Wondering if God is active because we don't see those same signs and miracles. And I know this is a question we ask a lot, right? And here's the sad thing for you, we're not going to talk about that today. However, it's on the list. We'll talk about it soon. So, like, think about it this way. You're at work, and you're cranking away, or maybe you're at school, and you're doing the very worst part of your job, whatever that is for you, okay? You're at school, you're in their very worst class, the thing that you hate the most, probably the last class of the day, so you have to kind of endure it before you finally escape. And all of a sudden, some dude shows up, and he doesn't even have a badge, Security, hello, who is this guy? Why is he in here? You're working at whatever you hate. You're barely hanging on that day trying to survive. And all of a sudden this dude exclaims, Hey, Paul, you're the hero and God's with you. As you stock those Harlequin romance novels at Half Price Bookstore. You're the hero. God's with you. You're going to change everything that's going wrong in this nation, Paul. You're like... That would be weird. You would think that that person might just be a little bit crazy, especially when the world around you is in chaos. How would you respond to that? It's not hard for me to think that I might be just a little bit sarcastic. Well, if God thinks so much of me, then why is all this bad stuff happening? 
Where's my miracle? You want to talk about our ancestors of old? Great. Where's my miracle? But I want you to notice something here. And I put this other one up here, the complete Joshua Bible version, just because I think it's interesting perspective. So the first one he calls him, O mighty man of valor. And the other one, you valiant hero. Adonai, the Lord is with you. Here's what I want us to get from this. The messenger's words, the Lord's words, as a matter of fact, accurately describe not only what Gideon is, but what Gideon will be. Think about that for just a second. This is foreshadowed in this story. In spite of his fear and his reluctance in this moment, this accurately describes not only what Gideon is before he even knows, but what he will be. God sees potential in us, folks. He sees things in us that we don't see. He calls things out of us that surprise us. He challenges us to do things that we don't think we're capable of. And that will actually become more important here in just a minute. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? He answers Gideon's question with a command and with another question. How very Jewish, right? He basically says, you've got this. No details, no instruction. How very like God in our own lives, right? You got this. Gideon, this problem you've asked for help with, you're going to solve it. Don't you get it? I'm on your side. Now go be the miracle that you've asked for. This is actually a principle of ministry here at Desperation Church, and we don't talk about it a lot, but it's a big deal. Something that we're very passionate about is every member ministry. And I know that may sound like a cheesy catchphrase, but listen to what I'm saying here. Our faith, the way that we practice our faith, it's not something that's practiced watching on the sidelines with our arms crossed. Our faith is not something that's practiced with our butts and chairs. Sorry, kids, bottoms and chairs. Christ's love, his death, his resurrection compels us, Paul says, to share the good news. When was the last time you were compelled? Rescued people save others. Disciples multiply. And it's only love when it's shared. That'll help you out for the sweetheart banquet too. It's only love when it's shared. That's why we provide 
opportunities for ministry here. That's why we do things like DCYL, where we intentionally say, you know what, this is so important. We're going to move outside the walls of this place and do it. We're going to live this thing that we keep talking about. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to show people how it's done. Because when they see us not only loving each other, but loving them in like this practical way, they're going to be like, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. That's also why when someone comes to me or Pastor John, like, you know what this church really needs? It needs this ministry that does fill in the blank. And John and I's follow-up question, how can we support you in fulfilling the mission that God's given you to start that here? It's not a trick question. You've heard where God guides, God provides, right? If something's got your attention, it's burning in your soul, and you're like, you know what? We don't have this, and we need it. Maybe God's calling you to start it, just like he's calling Gideon. Listen, you've been praying. You've you've obviously got some issues with what's happening. Guess what? You're going to solve it. So check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Right? (laughs) But what often happens in these situations, much like Gideon, we have these little conversations, and I don't think it's just me. I think we all do this, right? It's like, God, you know, I really want our kids to know you more. And he says, well, maybe you should volunteer for children's ministry. What? God, our people, they need deeper levels of relationships. And he says, well, maybe you should find someone and be like their accountability partner. God, I'm so anxious about everything. I just need peace. He says something like, well... Why don't you trust me today and let's just let tomorrow take care of itself? I could go on. God, I'm so tired of all the hate in this world. Well, maybe you just need to focus less on the world and more on loving others on my behalf. I'm stressed, Lord. I feel like I'm running around all the time and going crazy. He's like, well, you know what? I've got peace for you. Maybe it's time to simplify your life a little bit so that we can talk more every day. And sometimes when he calls us to be, our, be the answer to our prayers, we come up with excuses. I don't really feel like I hear from God. And he says, did not I send you? So moving on, verse 15. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Right? What Gideon's doing here is called politely declining. You know, that sounds great, but I just, I'm not the right person for that. I don't really have a lot of people skills, and I don't like to stand in front of people, and that's probably going to make me have to, like, get up earlier than 9, and that's just, not, that's, not my, that's just not my jam, right? He's politely declining, and we do the same thing. God, I'm not qualified. I wouldn't even know what to say. I could never do that. Don't ever say that to God, by the way. Whether it's 
Gideon's story or our own story, the reason we politely decline God's mission is always the same. Fear. It's fear. Fear of failure, fear of what might be required, fear of what others think, fear of what it might cost us. Right? I mean, you know, God, that's really going to cut into my Netflix binge-watching time. (laughs) I am so far behind on Lost. I know that apparently people are angry about how it ended, but I don't even know. Okay, this is real. All of this is real, but looking back in my life, I can tell you that the situations that I have the most regrets about are the decisions that I allowed fear to make for me. That's true. I mean, that's me. Well, Mom, Pastor Bill just said that the regrets he has, the biggest regrets are the times where he let fear make the decision. So I can totally get my eyelids tattooed, right? Pastor Bill said it was cool. Don't be afraid. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the moments where I allowed fear to hinder my potential because I didn't trust God. Moments where I could only see the next step in front of me and not the whole path. And so I was too afraid to move forward, too afraid to take the step. Here's the thing. God will wait. All those fruits of the Spirit that we love to talk about, especially patience, I mean, those are all his character traits. So he can outweigh anyone. I mean, how long has he been around? We don't even know. Forever. And then he starts nudging you, and that's even more fun. Allowing fear to hinder our potential because we don't trust God. And I know that there are many of you here today where you've either been in that place or you're in that place right now. And I think that's one of the paralyzing things about starting a new year. We've got all this leftover stuff that God said back in 2016, 2015, 2014, 2013. And he will let you sit. And then he'll call your child, number 94. Kids are awesome. We love them. You might be here today and you're in that place and God has challenged you to do something, but fear is the thing that's holding you back. On my desk in my office, I keep this little button as a reminder. I've got a couple things there. I've got a little donkey, and that's a reminder for me to not be one. I'm serious. But I've also got this button, and it's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Because living for God is meant to be scary, risky, and exciting. And here it is. Do one thing every day that scares you. We're not promised comfort, folks, in this walk. But yet we live like we think that that's a guarantee. We're not promised safety in this walk. And yet we try to live our lives like we are. It's what we expect in this world. And as Christians, I wonder sometime if like our churches have actually become our cages. Let me explain that. 
the idea of come and see what we're doing versus going and telling like Scripture says. Right? This is just a segment of your spiritual life. If this is all of the God you're getting in the week, it's not enough. This is a part of the whole package, gathering together in community, being challenged, being changed. Part of that is us like living together in this thing. How we, you know, like the stones in the river, they start out with a lot of rough edges. But as they rub up against each other and the water washes over them, they become smooth. That's what this is. It's a little laboratory. But has it become a cage for us? Come and see what we're doing at church because it's cool. And that might be true. But we have a generation surrounding us now that aren't coming to see anything. Have we become consumers of God? All right, God, impress me. Right? Come in on Sunday morning. Woo, I made it. Okay, God, blow me away. Come on. What you got? When really what we're called to be, we're called to be change agents for God. God calls us to live out our lives with one another because he knew if we were really living for him the way that we should, we would need each other. We wouldn't be able to do this on our own. I love that video that was shown for the If Gathering, and that's exactly what I'm talking about what that early church looked like, the way that they loved each other. And you can put that in a house, you can put it in a building, whatever you want to do, I don't care. The point is this. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to love one another. All the risks and hardships of life when they come, we're supposed to stand together in those things. To be honest, I had to look at this button a lot this week. You want to know why? Why? Because it seems like every time I teach a lesson about overcoming fear, taking risks, someone comes up to me afterwards or later that week, you know that message that you taught was the thing that God used for me to realize it was time for me to leave D.C. Yeah, I just said that. That's a fear that I have. You know, when you preach that message on overcoming fear, it really helped me realize that I need to quit that ministry because God has something else for me to do. Okay? You know, when you talked about stepping out and how God really challenges us, well, let me just say that I'm moving my family to the Galapagos Islands. So yet again, folks, every week I'm preaching to myself. Preaching to myself. <laughs> Preaching to myself. Well, there's nothing to lose and there's nothing to choose, and I'll be preaching to myself. Ah, ha, ha, Right? However, yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> However, I find comfort and courage in this next verse, Judges six sixteen, And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. That's my emphasis, but I think it was his emphasis too. But I will be with you, 
And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. In other words, it is not going to be any issue for you to take them down because I will be with you. By saying, I will be with you, God's promise of his presence took Gideon and put him in the lineage with other dudes like Moses. Remember him? And Joshua. Dudes that came before that he would know about, that he's heard about all his life. And by saying those words, but I will be with you, which he spoke to both of them. It's the same guarantee of success in this moment. He knows how those stories turned out. And we're in that same company. Jesus promises his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, that he will be with us always. Always. Nonetheless, much like us, Gideon had his doubts and his fears. And so this is what happens. Verse 17. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And the angel said, I will stay till you return. So then we snap into this Food Network session, right? He wants a sign that, and in fact, he says it this way, a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Gideon knows that this is an unusual situation, and he's skeptical that this messenger is God's angel. So he wants proof. And so here's what he does. And actually, you know what, I should point out something here. Because it's not obvious in Scripture. This is something that wouldn't be obvious to us as Western folks. But in Judaism, like the proof that Gideon seeks through this action of what he's about to do, it's based on the belief that angels, or messengers of God in this case, don't eat. You're like, what? It's like, yeah. As a matter of fact, they do not usually participate in human meals. And we see that in a few places in Scripture. Regardless, Gideon goes into his house to make a meal for the stranger. And so he makes some delicious goat. Mmm, it's not bad, right? Yeah, you knew that was coming. And then he makes some kind of curry, gravy deal, whatever that is. And then he makes bread, but he makes matzah. And the whole purpose of making the matzah was the fact that he didn't have time for this bread to rise. And he's trying to get this done quickly. We don't know how long it took, but he was, he was quick. He wanted to be fast. So he gets all this done, and actually is a very extravagant meal, especially for the fact that they're in this time where food is scarce. He uses tons of flour. I mean, this would have been like a huge meal for one person. So he brings all this stuff back to the tree where the angel's waiting. He's like, here you go. And here's what's neat. Gideon actually receives three signs, not just one, three. Check this out. The first sign is the messenger's avoidance of eating, like I mentioned earlier. Instead, the angel says, okay, I want you to take the goat meat, and I want you to take those cakes and put them on the top of that rock over there and then pour the gravy, the curry, over them. So he does that. First sign, he doesn't eat the food. Then, the angel reaches out with the staff that he has in his hand, and he touches it with just a tip, and fire erupts and consumes everything, and it's gone. Needless to say, that's the second sign, 
right? That would be pretty freaky. Okay, just put the Happy Meal over there. It might burst into flames on its own. Who knows? I'm really reeling on McDonald's. I'm, honestly, I haven't, I mean, whatever, you know, seriously. Whatever. <laughs> Fire shoots up out of the rock. It consumes everything. That's the second sign for Gideon. And what's interesting is the meal actually becomes an offering. The meat is the sacrificial, sacrificial offering. The cakes or the bread are the meal offering. And the gravy is a substitute for what would be the libation in traditional offerings. That may not matter to you. I thought it was very, very interesting. And then the last sign, the angel's gone, which is a pretty cool sign. It's an illusion, right? All of a sudden, he was there, and now he's not. And this would freak any of us out if this really happened. We would be like, whoa. And so, of course, it freaks Gideon out, too. Once he realizes that this was an angel of the Lord, all of a sudden he's like, oh, man, I'm toast. That's going to happen to me. I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. One element in Scripture that we often overlook, folks, is a healthy amount of fear for the Lord. And I get why. I mean, you know, Jesus was loving and he was like this bridge and and all these different things. So that's sort of like what we grew up hearing about. But encounters with the divine are dangerous. Gideon would have remembered that God told Moses, man shall not see me and live. Not to mention the audacity and the whole testing thing that he just did. Well, if you're really him, right? You'd be like, I really shouldn't have done that. How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Classic, right? It's really kind of like that. Like, when they open up the Ark of the Covenant, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, it's so beautiful. Don't look, Marion, right? Don't look! And then the one German dude just melts. Like, just... I think we're a little desensitized, kind of. Like, I wonder if God showed up in power and glory in all the ways that we kind of ask him to or wish he would. If we would just think that, like, the church bought a fog machine or something. Seriously. But here's what's cool. In the case of Gideon, God reassures him. Judges 6.23. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear You shall not die. Gideon responds in kind, and he commemorates this place, and this is another thing we see throughout Scripture. Anytime there's there's an encounter with the Lord, an altar is built in that place, and we've talked about that in this place. We encounter the Lord here, and this is an altar. It's kind of cool. And he calls that altar, the Lord is peace. So a fire is lit under Gideon, so to speak, and he musters the courage that he's needing to take the first step out into his calling. And that's where we'll pick that story up next week. But you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, that's a pretty gnarly story, Pastor Bill, because you guys all use the word gnarly. That's gnarly, but what does that really have to do with me? I mean, it's not like God's blowing up biscuits and gravy around my house and stuff, right? Right? 
Maybe not. But in case you didn't know, there's no doubt that, ha- that God has a call on each one of our lives. We sit here in this room as brothers and sisters, as people who say, Jesus is our Messiah. And that means that God has a call on your life. So like Gideon, until we finally get moving and accept that call, we will not find that place of peace. It's not going to happen. And even as we doubt ourselves and we try using our shortcomings to avoid our calling, God is saying, will not I be with you? And I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with questioning I don't think there's anything wrong even with testing. I think sometimes we overcomplicate knowing God's will, and we'll actually talk about that more next week. But we use these words, but oftentimes we already know what God wants us to do, right? We use words like calling and God's will, and we amplify like these inadequacies that we feel like we have to procrastinate and to avoid stepping up into that thing. I mean, we don't even rise to the challenge in the simple things that we know he wants us to do, like praying and communicating with him regularly, reading his word to know him better, being generous, right, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, the things that he's giving us, um, to, like, connect with other people to draw them to him, because that's what it's about. It pleases me to say today that God loves the underdog. And that's why those are the best movies, the best stories, because they're all ripped off from God. Young hero Skywalker that doesn't even know he's a Jedi becomes the linchpin in saving the galaxy. Small boy is ejected in a spaceship from his planet because it's destroying itself. Lands on Earth. Saves the planet. God loves the underdog. And just like Gideon, God believes in us because we're underdogs. And he believes in us before we believe in ourselves. We see ourselves sometimes as less than. But God looks at us and he sees more. And God keeps reminding us that we'll succeed because he is with us. I mean, we just came through the season where we kept saying over and over again, Emmanuel, God with us, right? So there's no excuse on our part for inaction. Living for Jesus is a risky proposition. And God's actions, and this is the thing I think we need to get a hold of, God's actions in this story aren't centered on Gideon. I mean, he happens to be a part of the story, but his actions aren't centered on him. And the same is true for us. His actions aren't centered on us either. His actions are centered on rescuing everybody. And we get to play a part in that. Everyone on this planet, until every knee bows, every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And he promises that he will be with us when we make him our purpose, like we talked about last week. This is the last scripture for us today. I quoted part of this earlier. This is from Jesus. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we want change in our, in our lives, his will is the way, right? Doing his will, doing the things that he's asked us to do, not worrying about the change itself, not worrying about, okay, what's the next thing? It's like, okay, it's this. Loving God, loving one another together. Announcing redemption. Our rescue's here! Everybody get on the boat, right? Lasting change will come when we find our purpose in God. And if we make him our purpose, God believes in us and is with us. We should trust him. So whatever you're facing today, Whatever's going on in your life. And I know, I can look around this room and I know there are hard things represented here today. So I don't say this lightly. I'm not being trite. With God's help, you got this. With God's help surrounding you, these people, you've got this. You can do it. Bow your hearts with me. Father, we are humbled we are humbled that you invite us into your story. We are humbled that you reach to us with outstretched arms and welcome us. We are humbled that there was absolutely no reason and yet you still loved us. Even in the middle of the deepest, darkest, worst things imaginable. Choices we made to rebel against you and yet you still loved us. And God, we love that you didn't stop there. But that you made a way for us to be your sons and daughters for eternity. And now you give us the opportunity to share that. In this world. God, we just say that we're sorry for the times when we've let fear stop us. We say we're sorry, God, for the times when we didn't believe that you would come through, the times when we surrendered hope, the times when we looked around at this planet and believed that it was too much for you to overcome. Help us to remember that it, you've already overcome it. It's done. And that the rest is just executing your plan. 
God, I pray for the men and the women in this room that maybe are facing big steps in their life, facing hard things, trying to make choices, trying to find your will, and really struggling with that, God. I just pray for peace right now. Peace in our lives that the stresses of this world and all the pressure that this world wants to create in us, that we could stand at that place, at that altar of peace. And relax in you. We know, God, that the only way that we've got this is because you've got this. So I pray for every man, for every woman, for every child that's in this building, God, anyone that can hear my voice that's struggling with those issues, just that you would be real and ever-present peace, God, and that the things you've already called us to do, that we would walk in those. And that through, through us, it's amazing, through us, that you would change this world. So today, in this very moment, Father, we rededicate our hearts to you. We give you everything. We love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's everything that we have. We lay at your feet, at your altar, and we say, take it. Do what you will with it. Don't let fear, God, be a barrier for us to serve you, for us to step out, for us to do what it is you're asking us to do. And ultimately, May you be glorified in everything because that's what it's about. Your glory. We love you. And we thank you for seeing more in us than we see in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Listen, if you're walking through something, the brothers and sisters that are surrounding you right now the sole purpose. I mean, like, why we're together is so that we can walk through those things together. But we can't help with any of those things if we don't know about them. That's why in our email list, you see names of elders listed there and phone numbers. That's why we stand up here after church and invite folks to come and pray. That's why people linger in this room, because they want to know you. They want to connect with you. That's why we do Wednesday nights. The idea of bringing people together so that we can walk through life together. But we can't help with any of that stuff if we don't know about it. So don't ever feel like you're burdening somebody. Because I know that's sometimes what people say. Well, this is really small. I didn't want to bother you with it. God cares. I care. We care. So we'll have some folks up here afterward. We would love to pray with you. If you're going through something, don't walk away today without praying with somebody. If you're not comfortable with me or the folks that are up here, grab somebody that you are comfortable with. They will pray with you. I love you guys. Have a great week.